Jackson the Cat. Episode 2, Milkshakes. One. Richard had wanted to watch State play the opposing team from the student section, but his father told him that's not where they went. So, tall and brusque, Richard Penneth Hartley proceeded along regular lines. He was sitting in his room painting a statuette. This wasn't something he was great at, but it gave him a certain amount of pleasure. Richard, 18, had played the game around these figures with a troop of friends in high school, way back when, but all of them had gone on to attend State instead of SU, where he went. It wasn't hard to keep in touch since both universities stood in town, but as the leaves fell off the trees outside his second-story window, Richard had noticed that, soon, the group did not stay connected. He filled in with a dark green the figure's bootstrap, and reflected again that he was ultimately okay with this change, and possibly welcomed it. Son. He turned. His father stood in his coat in the doorway. Will we be going soon? Yeah, of course, Richard said, paintbrush posed in his claw. Ready super soon. Within five minutes, they were walking down along their usual route. Your introductory survey to classic literature going moderately well? His father asked. Yeah, yeah. It's good, it's good, said Richard, neck couched in the upturned coat collar. Intently, he examined birds, and intently, he examined a neighbor's rainbow-painted steps up the frosted, untrimmed grass. Now that he was a college student, his block looked different. There's a guy in the class who's, uh, actually, he's bilingual. Our role. We hung out after when we wanted to compare a note, right? I don't know, he seems cool. Maybe we're friends. As if this were an amusing possibility, Richard used the paws in his coat pockets to spread the cloth wide. Continuing to walk at an unwavering clip, his father nodded. That's all for the best. Yeah. Our role? Yeah. O-R-uh-uh, he had to think. Y-O-L. The stadium had been built in a utilitarian architectural style, where decoration and gonfalons failed to enfold the beams except one day out of the year, which was now. The game against SU. Richard said offhandedly, Guess they uh, took the stadium to the boudoir, you know? He had acquired the word of late in a history course and wanted to impress his father with how casually he fired it off, plus making a pretty cracking joke besides. But this seemed to have no effect. But the elder all of a sudden turned to his son and spoke. I have tickets for our usual placement. They had stopped just beyond the cats and cool vests checking attendees' tickets. This is going to be all right. It half hung like an inquiry, but it wasn't. Richard opened his mouth and closed it again. Yeah, yeah, he said, too loud. In the midst of a recent habit, Richard assumed a gruff, mannish exterior and slapped his dad twice on the back. Let's get into this game, huh? The father stood opposite the kit, managed to shift his eyes, still staying in the narrow radia emitting off Richard's face. Mr. Hartley, the name with which people knew him at work and school, seamlessly turned and walked on, and his son, wiping his nose, jauntily bounced in stride. The arena sat full to bursting. Wow, 
said Richard absently. Nice, nice. He turned and removed his eyes from the hot dog kiosks to see his father's march had not tremored. He coughed and picked himself along, thinking how it was funny that his father had had a second check-in with him just a few moments ago. They'd already been over this conversation, and Richard, knowing that adulthood's secret heart was harmony, had yielded in more or less an instant. Since he was twelve, they had gone to all the major at-home football matches, which in recent years had been reduced to scrimmages, excepting, of course, the big one with the other university in town, SU. Since his father was a faculty member at State, it had been more or less a given which team they'd root for throughout the whole long, late season, stretching out of autumn. This had made it all the more surprising when, despite the lack of a scholarship and the deep ingraining of years-long family fidelity, Richard's father had encouraged the kit to go to the opposing school, SU. This seemed to arise suddenly, and at a juncture where Richard, a junior at Franzia High, was already half through State's arduous application stint. But one day, his father had sat in his room and started talking about SU's exceptional programs, with no introduction and no context. Richard had gawked. He could have sworn that in many times past, Mr. Hartley had made remarks built on the premise that he would go to State, the family school, the school their entire lives had been founded on. But, since his father had always said those things when he and Richard had been alone, there were no corroborating witnesses to check such memories, save, of course, Mr. Hartley. And Richard's doubting of his own recall began to metastasize. He figured it was part of growing up. This only continued a pattern. To Richard, it was something near heroic in the way his father had undertaken hazards on his behalf all his life. Once, it had been confronting a bully in elementary school. Another time, it had been Mr. Hartley stepping into the batting cage at the ranges and intentionally letting the pitchman fire the ball into the center of his broad chest, so Richard's fear might be assuaged and he could see for himself. Not so bad. Countless other examples. So when his father told him, in the midst of application, to reverse the entire course of his life and set sail for SU as opposed to the siren song of state, it came across as just another thing, the decision of colleges that father was handling for him. It was all right. Richard had simply been asked to get a rope and tie himself to the mast. Thus, when Richard had been 17, it was settled a year and a half prior to today, the day of the big game. Through all of it, his mother had at the time characteristically said nothing on the subject, and admittedly, it was the closest he had come to bucking under Mr. Hartley's will. But soon, he did see the sense in it all. SU was a good school. Was it odd that, despite them now being Richard's rival, him and his dad still attended games hosted at State and continued to sit in the section cheering to oppose Richard's own school? It was odd. But Richard, himself a good-looking, studious-enough adolescent, had decided that odd was good, so long as nobody made a big fuss about it. You see how it is, said his father. He knocked a boot onto the coin under Section 25's entrance in the stadium. Exceptional construction. Following ritual, Richard quickly kicked the coin himself and, as he had ten times before, bantered, Yep, not gonna knock it down. They went up. 2. Weather and light were far from notable for an ordinary day in January. It was about what you'd expect, no snowfall. When leaving, Richard's mother had seemed squeamish and distant, 
Growing up, she had abstained from attending any of these games, but emanated a clear sort of tacit warmth at the image of her son and husband going to matches together. But it was in the last two years, as Richard got older, that her behavior verged on discomfort whenever he shoved on the green and white pullover prior to launching out for a scrimmage. The young cat in the sweater, which separated him from his peers at SU, was thinking about all this as father and him broke into the overcast light, and his ascension stopped while looking past the sea of green. Hundreds in a row. Cats had signs, and despite the cold, a few took their shirts off. Somehow those in the student section seemed to be always packed tighter than anyone over here. They were chanting a rhyme. A variety of complicated routines the students participated in, hovering just over the tuba-lined pep band. Richard's eyes made a volplane. Yesterday, returning from a lecture, he had skidded past the open door of Father's study with the backpack slung over a shoulder, and then reversed course. Hey, he said, still out of sight and beyond the edge of the passage. Almost every single item in his dad's office, even the most elite possession, an actual telephone in-house, seemed to shift positions daily, with one exception, the framed portrait of Richard and his mother. That gathered dust. He knew from once frequent visiting it was much the same at his father's faculty office on campus at State. Mr. Hartley spoke. Yes? It'd be funny. Here Richard set down his bag on the counter in order to create noise. It'd be funny if, like, I kept on my state pullover tomorrow and for part of the game went to the student section just to, you know, just to compare with the crowds at SU. I don't know. He loudly unzipped his backpack and started larding out the papers. Kind of curious. They don't have a student section at SU Stadium, then? Folding a syllabus, Richard said, Nah, they have a student section. He called loudly. But their games kind of coincide with the state games you and I go to, you know? He strode across the kitchen. Or if you wanted, we could both check it out together. The state student section? Just see what it's like. At this point, Richard was getting ice out of the freezer and sensed a change in his father's office. He frowned and plopped the shards in his cup and walked over to stand in the middle of the study's passage. Awaiting him, like it anticipated where Richard would stand, was father's unblinking gaze. From behind his desk, he answered, No. And then, absent, looked back down at his papers, added, That's not where we go. In the first quarter, State was up ten points against SU, and Richard cheered and whooped while his father nodded with quicker and tighter head gestures. Hey, I'm going to get some snacks. You want anything? said Richard. It was the last minute thirty of second quarter. He always tried to beat the halftime gush. Just coffee if they have it. Thanks. Right, right. He slapped him on the back again and crab walked to the aisle. Eyes on the narrow, steep staircase, he heard a massive roar and saw everyone stand. He looked up. Touchdown state. Richard couldn't remember one instance of heading through the aisle, gaze averted off-field, where a major stat-changing play had not at that moment occurred. Down below was the lovely energy of cheers, separated from one by stone. Swaying his pockets side to side, Richard walked when he heard someone call his name. 
he wheeled and saw a familiar spat of whiskers. Hey, said Richard. Uncle Mott. He came in for an embrace. Look at this. Hello again, young friend, said Uncle Motley, adjusting the Homburg. How is your college lifestyle? Well, what can I say, said Richard. I'm, you know, I'm asking out the co-eds, tossing the ball around the quad, all that stuff. You know, I've changed. I'm a complete egomaniac now. Ah, you're at SU. Uh-huh. Well, you can't have changed that much. Richard skewed. What do you mean? You and your dad still going to the games? On State's behalf? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you know. Old man's not going to change his ways, he leered. Eh, apparently not. Come by the office and bring one of your adoring co-eds sometime. Motley clapped a glove on the shoulder of Richard's peacoat. I need to get a pretzel before testing out a dry run on something for a colleague. But anyway, the pretzels here are divine. Oh, really? That true? Yes. All right, well, take care, Mott. I'll tell Mom you said hey. Motley strolled off until Richard said, Mott? He stopped. Closest pretzel stands to your left. The Homburg wavered, then kept going the same direction. Nah, nah, said Richard. You're left, you're left. Ah, said Motley. I do tend to get my sinister and Dexter tangled. It's the price of my magnificent personality. Well, naturally, said Richard. Wouldn't have it any other way. After a moment's warble, Motley went to his left, toward the nearest bar, and, for the sake of harmony, Richard went a different way. Hey, uh, go green. And go white, said Motley. Good sir. Deft, languid, Richard stalked through the undercurrent and came under increasing discomfiture when each kiosk rejected his wish for coffee. It appeared at some point many of the vendors had stopped selling this stodgy but standard sports drink, and Richard was at a loss. After about the fifth one, the odds of finding any seemed frighteningly small until a post with a graphic of a bean on it unrolled itself to Richard's view. He puffed and started to lunge toward it, irritation yielding relief, when the rest of his senses brought him up to speed on where he was. He heard chanting and stomping much more powerful than in any of the other sections. The truth was out. He had made the full semicircle. Richard hovered just below the student section. The young cat stood in a balance. He realized in his hunt for the coffee he had done things out of order. It should only grow cold in the time that it would take to procure his own snack. He was wondering what to do next and keeping an ear immersed in the wave of noise when struck half-time and a phalanx of youths roared down the ramp and burst onto the scene, squeezing Richard up against a bathroom. The cat frowned. Now getting back to his seat and keeping everything in his arms would be twice as hard. He found himself breathing quickly enmeshed in this rogues gallery of fur. Up close, all the ferocious bombacity, the spirit of citizens Richard's own age, shocked him with vehemence. The degree to which they cared. A well-known secret was that the rivalry between SU and State was far more momentous for the latter, since SU, being the more elite, had its mind on higher things. Somebody tossed what appeared to be a flower over Richard's head, and the tall spectator in peacoat actually witnessed a drunkard's mouth spit beer on a yowling fan. He wasn't born yesterday, 
alcohol was part of the mix. It was just the sheer fervor. He had never, and he had to admit this with a sort of chill, seen anything like it. The trampling of boots on concrete hypnotized Richard so that he was the only one simply standing there amidst the flow of white-green chaos when he heard something. Are you all right? He turned. A molly cat was talking to him. Though he assumed otherwise. Studying the coffee stand, he tried to lay out the scheme for buying his bratwurst chili dog at the nearest bar and then acquiring caffeine before ferrying coffee and pork quickly and seamlessly to the Section 25, all the way across the stadium when the molly cat, who wore glasses, came up with her friend in tow and, laughing, said, Are, are you okay? Richard started. Yeah. You seemed to be addled, said her friend. Shorter than the one who'd first spoken and with a lower register, which Richard immediately associated with drugs. Oh, yeah. He looked again nervously at the coffee stand, like it might go away. No, no, not addled, just slightly embattled. Oh, right, of course, said the taller one, smiling. Her voice had a touch of the adenoidal and was in addition a little high for someone her age. Whoa, nice, said the shorter one. A rhyme. Yeah, yeah, he nodded. When it became clear they weren't going away, he started rearranging his cards. Who are you? Melly, said the taller one. I don't have my ID, but I'm Nella, said the shorter. Hey, he stuck out a paw. Richard. Oh, hello. Nella, mocking the formality while participating, said Mr. Richard. Yes, hello, said Melly. Do you normally just stand in front of bathrooms, said Nella. No. Oh, oh yeah. He scuttled off the bathroom entrance. He was about to excuse himself when Melly, angling her ears like at something odd in a fish tank, said, Do you want to get some snacks with us? Richard's arms had buried deep in his pockets. Yeah, said Nella, we're looking for the perfect puppy chow. Listening to the band start its grand review above, Richard closed his mouth and then said, Puppy chow? Hell yeah. Yeah, said Nella, who turned to Melly and said, Do you think they have the kind that's sans chocolate candies up over there in the deep 40s? I've never been here before. Nella said, I made her come here in exchange for a debate night. That isn't true. It's not? No. Melly hooked a claw into the air and swiveled it down. I told you I would go to the football game in exchange for the debate aposium, as well as wearing the word of my choosing on your forehead for a day. Oh yeah, Nella turned. I'm actually looking forward to that. We should be getting our snacks now if we want to see part of the show. Melly angled toward the peacoat. Richard? Yeah, Richard, he nodded. The three of them trooped along through the lake of bodies, and then finally Nella seemed to remember where they needed to go. So, are you at the Benneke? Melly said. The what? Benneke Urban Planning. The college. She thought you looked familiar, said Nella, but I just told her it's because all the guys at Benneke look like they're standing in a police lineup. Not like a hardened criminal, she said, ceasing the trek, but like someone who's inexperienced with run-ins with gendarmes. Indeed, said Melly. The three returned to their serpentine slide. I don't know, you just looked... I mean, I always go to the local library uptown because it's less crowded, but I would not have been surprised to see you at the Benneke Lib. Or maybe trying to commit some kind of book-related crime? But not well. No, no, it's fine, I'm sure. 
Oddly, Richard thought of the way he was toward his dad as of late, cheering, cogent, like water off a duck, and decided to transfer. I've been, you know, I've been hoping to go platinum for my arrests. Oh, really? said Melly. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, he shrugged. Don't want to get arrested for anything boring. No, of course not. No. You want to be arrested for publicity-gaining crimes? said Nella. Yeah, yeah, he said. You know, something simple like you take someone's shampoo and ketchup and swap them. Oh, okay, really notable, said Melly. It would probably aid the hygiene of certain men here, Nella said. Melly agreed. Yeah, you know, said Richard. Gotta try to get famous. Of course, said Melly. Maybe you could take the shampoo ketchup swapping and actually market it, said Nella. Then it wouldn't be a crime, it would be a trend. Oh, what, you don't sham catch? said Richard. It's already hot. Melly was laughing. Oh, it is, is it? Gonna have to try that. Nella bought two bags of puppy chow and handed one to Melly. Richard, a little bold for his usual wavelength, said, Where's mine? Ah, you see, this is our strategy, said Melly, shoveling out a scoop. You aren't bought one, you're forced to share it with us. Out of nowhere, the thought struck Richard that he hoped his coat was properly buttoned. It was an incoming crash of self-consciousness, but then, on top of that, the thought that if it weren't, with these two, it wouldn't matter. Ah, I see, he said. Very strategic. Melly knocked his shoulder. Come on. With a guilty stab, he caught sight over the wave of heads of the icon of a bean. Melly, rather abrupt, asked him if she could ask him a question, and when Richard said yes, asked what was his most controversial opinion. He cleared his throat. Well, that would take time to chew over, wouldn't it? Still only half time, no play in action. He checked to see that, in fact, one button was out of place, and, following along toward the student section, said, Gotta think. Three. SU has no fight. We're gonna take a bite. Eat you up, spit you out, turn you into shite. Richard chewed the puppy chow. The game's not happening, he said. Why bother with the chance? Yeah, when it's still halftime, said Melly. They had squeezed 20 rows up amidst the horde. Right behind Richard were engineering students, alternating between discussing centripetal force and the last safety scored for the defense. It's to keep their blood, said Nella. Should they lose any fighting wind? Like a morale boost, he said, borrowing the term from the strategy game he'd used to play. Hmm. He asked something, keeping the tone disinterested. So what, you guys, uh, freshmen? Sophomores? We are seniors, said Melly. I'm 23. Within seconds, various walls inscribing Richard's person fell to the ground, and he had to face the fact that actually he was the teensiest, tinsiest little boy in the entire world. Great. How old are you? 18, he said. You're 18? I am, he said, sensing the heat rise up in his neck. You seem older, said Nella. You seem kind of like a teacher. But not as dull, said Melly, and then she got a queer look in her face. Hey, Richard, said Nella. Do you think a gardener working his way through the checklist of clientele, as well as a linebacker, would say they're 20 yards down? Ah, ah, Richard chortled. I would think, I would think. So, said Melly, you still have not answered my question. Which one? Hmm, about your most controversial opinion. 
It's a standard question, Nella said. Mine was that people who look at cartoons shouldn't vote. What? said Richard. Not like forcibly. Just like anybody who's opening the Herald to look at Beast or Barney shouldn't be involved in civics decisions. Richard had once looked at this newspaper strip, as well as the feeble political gag tune, Babe Martin, but he drifted away from that habit long since. Huh, he said. I don't know. The idea is intriguing, said Melly, but somewhat aggressive. You're just offensive because you used to make origami swans, Nella pivoted to Richard. From Babe Martin strips for men that she, well, had relations with. True, said Melly, but they were often undeserving, and I don't do that as of date. Richard became fascinated with a cloud. So, said Melly. Yeah, so, said Richard. You still haven't furnished me. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. He really hadn't. The truth was, this was all too exciting to allow room for deep thought. But now, seeing Melly was intent on this query, the young cat looked far down inside himself and tried to find an answer. Some few opinions were possible candidates, but got scraped to the side, not wanting to actually offend the two. Richard argued with himself that these were more biases than opinions, things he felt rather than truly believed. He wanted something honest and that had resulted from actual accretion of reason. Hmm. Probably that, mm, probably, said Melly. Richard looked at her. You might want to throw in a probably or maybe in case I'm dead off on this. Ah, but that's going to weaken your argument. It occurred to Richard that his father never said maybe. Okay, okay. He hoped he was hiding his blush as he looked aside. So, there don't need to be scholarships. He frowned at himself. The opinion had been a failure because he didn't know what reasoning it came from. Nella gazed, and Melly said, Interesting. Yeah. Are you going to explain? Still grinning. Richard shrugged. I don't know. Just, uh... He looked around and saw something. He leapt. Whoa, hey! Mott! Huh? Said Melly. You see someone you know? Nella said. Uh, yeah, said Richard. That guy's my uncle. I mean, he's been friends with my mom a long time. What's he doing on the field? Said Melly. Uh... He laughed. I don't know. Motley, standing in Hamburg and trench coat, was talking to someone official-looking who herself stood near the conductor. Huh, said Melly. I should have done this when we were down there earlier, but I have to pee. Let me know if you're... Cousin? Uncle, said Richard. I'm just kidding. I wanted to see if you'd let me get away with saying the wrong thing. It's a game we play with strangers, said Nella. You passed. Melly edged off. Well, let me know if your uncle, not by blood, by the way, does anything tremendous. Will do, said Richard. Me and Nella, you know, uh, can keep band-ing things, right? Band-ing things? Oh-ho, said Nella. Melly had vanished, so this was now purely for their own benefit. Can keep, uh, holding, oh, court or back away from the floor. The floor? Like, either hold court or back away from the center of attention. Uh-huh. And this is court or back. Oh, uh -huh, right. Yeah, yeah. Can attention, everybody. They looked down. Next to Motley, the Molly Cat in official garb was speaking through a funnel in order to amplify her tone. But it wasn't until the din simmered that anything cut through. Richard shifted. What was Motley doing down there anyhow? Students of state, how are you feeling today? The response was raucous. Nella imitated a low grunt. Great, 
I wanted to announce, she waited like a school teacher. I wish to announce as head of recreational entertainment resources that a friend of the community, Sanford Motley, Motley whispered something in her ear. Oh, and yes, care of Mr. Motley here, but courtesy of our local pioneer Gethard Jackson, we will be debuting a new machine, Motley leaned to whisper again. Oh, I'm sorry, a new potion called Cheddarstith that, yes? Oh, um, and if you like the show, Jackson is at the Tingston Bank, account number 405, and donations will always be appreciated. But now... Who's ready to see our beloved fightin' state halftime marching band be ten times as large? The roar was unanimous. Richard gawked. Wonderful. Mr. Motley, if you're ready. Motley turned in profile to the band and, pursing the lips like someone deep in concentration, yet shallow in sureness, tremblingly held up a small yellow vial, stiffened, and with a breath almost hateful, threw it on the grass. A burst of smoke lapped over the marching band, which had been bellowing in a low, crescendo-soaked G, and sizzled to an enormous height, clearly visible to anyone from anywhere in the round. Then, as Nella looked on slack-jawed, and Richard's eyes bugged, the choleric green haze started fritzing into the form of an image. It was the most amazing thing Richard had ever seen. Real, live, moving pictures, engraved like some sort of demented topographical map in the fog, like a lilting bas-relief of lurid beings identical to the ones perceived three-dimensionally around them in the stadium. Although, with a crucial mistake, None of those featured in the smoke wielded instruments. They seemed to be stacked at an oddly sheer angle, three rows of three pairs of eyes gaping, which in a swirling... Richard jumped. So did the central figure. Nella covered her mouth, as did the unmistakably Nella-ish phantom in the fumes, while Richard gazed with an additional twitch into the enormous and crystal-clear image of himself. The only differences were color and texture. Undeniably, the same Richard seen by everybody who knew him, but now at the scale of Goliaths. The band stopped, and several confused coughs echoed through the student section. In an instant, Motley seemed to lurch and almost fall over as Richard's huge face yawped down at him. The recreational entertainment resources head looked at Motley and looked over at the smoke, then called into the funnel. It seems maybe there's been a mistake? Why is it showing us, said Nella, when Richard looked at her to his left as the image of him glanced to the real Richard's right, unlike in a mirror, he... Oh no, I do tend to get my sinister and my dexter tangled. Whatever this thing was, this potion or vile filter, Motley had administered it wrong. Instead of showing the band on their upraised podium to Motley's left, it had copied the student section to Motley's right, smack dab where Richard was now in the process of panicking. And his father. A rush of blood ran near the skin. The real Richard's and the real Motley's eyes locked. Motley glanced over to section 25, and then, after seeing the will-o'-the-wisp of his, quote, nephew cover the forehead, immediately started swiping a paw frantically to and fro, blowing, huffing on the plume of smoke. Richard, said Nella, are you okay? 
The entire stadium watched while the massive teen shoved his soupy overcoat out of the vignette's box and charged by the yellow spectators behind him. Just as the cheddar stith was billowing away, the edge of a pair of spectacles gleamed into the crop when Melly asked, Hey, what happened? What is that? Richard slid past her, failing to respond as his wingtips pounded on the concrete two steps at a time and spirited him into the corridor. 4. He had returned to Section 25 when the third quarter was about a minute in. Humiliatingly, he had forgot the coffee. As he'd come up, his father had simply nodded, but hardly looked Richard's way. The rest of the game then passed in a languorous blank. SU won 42 to State's 16. The weather was dribbling when the crowd slumped out of Chemp Stadium, and Richard threw out a quip or two before submitting to the mute exodus home. By about five o'clock, they'd reached the door and gone in when Richard, striding toward his room, said, Ah, well, they'll get him next time. His father said nothing and walked to the office. Richard was about to close the door when he heard Mr. Hartley's voice carry through the hall. Richard. The young cat stopped, gripping the glass knob. Yeah? Do you like to be a student at SU? He walked to the kitchen, where his father awaited him. Yeah. Hey, uh, listen, I just wanted to say, sorry about your coffee, must have slipped past my- It's not clear what that was, or how it operated. But if your mother has taught me anything, it is that such things are possible. For better or worse. Richard nodded and reached behind him to open the freezer and grab shards of ice. He didn't have a glass. Yeah, yeah, what is it you- Bang went the freezer shut, and Richard stared in awe at the appendage which barely missed getting caught. He craned and saw the plastic had scratches next to the handle. Um, we will stop attending games if that's what's going to solve this. Richard felt a bolus in his throat, coughed. Dad, what? I am going to make something extremely clear. Are you listening? His father would not break eye contact. I don't want to see you in the student section. Ever. I don't want to see you near State's campus. I don't want to see you anywhere near that part of town. Is this perfectly clear? We put in a lot of work to decide that SU is what is best for you, and it is insulting, not to mention weak, young man, to lie to me and implicitly second-guess your own convictions. Richard kept the paw by his face and managed to work his mouth. I don't... I mean, I didn't technically lie, right? No answer. I... you know, Dad, I was curious. It's nothing more than that. His father leaned in near his son's face. And what good could it conceivably do, then, to have you commingling with the state student body? I teach them, Richard, I know their type. And blasting your chances at success at SU. Well, Dad, Richard said, we're going to state games, because you... Sorndown University was decided for you. Continuing to do well at your studies is beneficial in the end for you. Everything I do has been done for you. Understand it. The two Tomcats turned as they heard a gasp. They saw, standing behind the counter with tears dripping on the quartz, Richard's mother. Mr. Hartley ogled and produced a wicked sneer. In a tone Richard had never heard before, he said, 
And now this. Disgusted, he cut to his office and thwacked the door shut. It was the next day that Richard found himself wandering around the northern half of the city. No particular aim, no particular wish. And in his stupor came out of himself to see that he'd wound up outside the local library, a place Richard had not visited since middle school. He shook off the frost and came over. There in the lobby on an ancient easy chair was, of all felines, Melly, sprawled sidelong and reading a book on metaphysics. Hey, he called. Look who was here. She glanced up, seemed to take a moment, then smiled. Oh, hello. There was an instant where Richard did look behind him through the glass door for a looming shape. But this wasn't even the part of Franzia state occupied. He'd wandered here more or less absent-mindedly, by accident, so he was blameless. So, he hooked down. Philosophy. Mm-hmm. I've only just started it. She was a third in. Melly kept reading, then said, Have a seat. Richard took the chair beside her, identical in style but green. Separating them sat a card table, and Melly turned her head to say, Everything okay? What? Yeah, yeah. He kind of vanished. Nella thought that you would rush to talk to your quote-unquote uncle. Ah, Richard laughed. No, no, no. I mean, he did release a fog that blew up your picture. What, that? Nah, dude, he said. Everybody's blessed to see a set of pearly whites like these. She laughed. You did run off. Richard looked at his trousers. Sorry about that. It's fine. She closed her book. I just expect repayment with a challenge. Yeah? Can you answer five whys? Surely. And you know what that is? Oh, yeah, he said. I mean, after you, like, tell it to me, I will. Aha. She put her paws together. So, what is it that you study? Business ed. Hmm. Why? Because it'll get me a job. Hmm. This is important why. Richard crossed his legs. So I can have money to pay for a home? Why? Well, it'd be quite a ride, but I'm not wanting to freeload off of my dad. Why? Why? Richard scoffed, answered. Why do you think? So I can be an oarsman, not an anchor, you know? Why do you think? I'm sorry, what? Melly tucked the book. Well, you know. He turned his body to face the doors, profile with the wing of the blue chair. Help things along and stuff. Hmm. Melly stroked the leather binding and examined a mark. Oh, crap. Books are so frail. Hey, said Richard, staring at the scratch. Don't you owe me a fifth why? She didn't answer. The staff announced that the facility would be closing. Oh my gosh. She rose. I'd better check this out. Hey, do you want to come to the debateposium Friday? Absolutely. Great. It's at the Hef building. Ah, uh, time? Eight o'clock. Melly stood there, holding her book. If you have anything you'd like to check out, the library will be closing in about one minute. I'd offer you to come along with me after this, but meeting Nella for a people watch at the Cafe Jean, and we always promise no third parties. Richard stood. Ah, well, I'm always the first party in the rank, so it wouldn't work. Walking back through the inner zones of town, the young cat rubbed his arm, as if this might cause the scant sun to sink in deep. It was on Monday after a marketing course where he'd struggled to answer a question about the surety of the invisible hand that he strode past the going-out-of-business boards of the book brothel and through the park into City Hall, where he wandered to an obscure back warren flanked by two doors, one on his right, open as always, and one on the left, perpetually shut. Well, if it isn't the wandering scholar, 
said Motley, over the fumes of his potato soup. A stove growled in the hall. Richard was always a little wary about running into his mother here, but knew she operated in a different sector of the building. Motley took a gulp. You received my note, then? Richard nodded. Outside the classroom, a page had given him a letter apologizing for Saturday's catastrophe and repeating the offer to stop by the office. Mondays are hardly busy, Motley said as Richard took a seat. So, he stirred the soup. Everything go all right? Richard had his paws in his coat pockets and had planted shoes against opposite drawers of Motley's desk. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, just about. He took a sip. I believe, good sir, you had promised me a co-ed. Well, you know, give me time. She's not here right now. She? Richard's shoe squeaked on the secretary. Then, not quite looking at Motley, and with a faint smirk, found himself confiding about meeting Melinda, called Melly, in the student section of Chemp Stadium. Her friend, Nella, their banter and ridicule, some of the adventures. Ah, said Motley. Are they aware you're a spy from the rival body? Well, you know. Hey, so speaking of that. Richard pursed his lips and tried to keep on the gentle smirk. You know, Dad, old man Hartley, he's a man of his time. Water churned through the pipes. But, uh, yeah, he scratched his face idly, said, Ouch, I hate when that happens. And anyway, Richard accepted Motley's cloth to dab up the blood. You have any idea, maybe, why the old man would be, uh, kind of like, worked up to see me in the student section? I mean, hey, right? He's a great guy. The water in the pipes crawled to a stop as Motley listened. But, uh, yeah, you know, relating to how he doesn't want me interacting with anyone at state... For any reason, uh, you have any, um... He balled the cloth up. You have any guesses? Motley stared at Richard for a beat, then, setting aside the empty bowl, said, I actually know somebody who I may be able to leverage for help if you provide a favor. He gazed across the hall, and Richard twisted to look at the door. Did you ever meet Jackson? Uh, no, no, I don't think I did. He provided the thing, didn't he? Yeah. The executors of the stadium told him that no sports crowd would ever be interested in looking at themselves. Motley lowered his voice. I didn't precisely make it clear to them that it was my slip-up. Mm. Nor to Jackson. But since scores of people are familiar with you as the face in the Cheddar Stith, maybe you'd be willing to promote the potion. Corner the youth market, if you will. Among your colleagues. Richard shrugged. Yeah, sure. Excellent. Motley stood. Last month, it turned out Jackson, with sufficient guidance, has a penchant for solving a mystery. Well, I don't know if this is a mystery, exactly. It's just, well, you could ask your dad about it yourself. Richard looked at Motley and the shut door, then announced he had to go to his next class, and told him to see if there was anything they could find. But scruples did press in on Richard's brain, and, the stove's roar smothering his footfall, he doubled back to withdraw the decision, only to see the desk in Motley's office empty, and Jackson's room still barred. Richard gave an ear to the voices from within. This can be affected so long as you remain the garanter that this imp actually shall put out Cheddarstith's good word, said a horrible smoke-ravaged voice through the door. It irks one that anything had actually gone awry. 
Perhaps it should have been done at dusk, for the smoke is luminous. But that wouldn't have helped the blunder of cardinal directions. That cause is awkwardly out of my reach. It is a mystery. Anyway, don't go too rough on him with any, uh, sensitive information you gather. The kid's in a spot and obviously having his first... Motley's voice lowered, the end of the sentence inaudible. Ah. And you know how his dad can be. But he was trying to make it seem like he had just casually befriended two state women, Nella and Melly, believe it. But it was obvious he's gaga for the Melinda character. Commiseration is not to be vast for any kind of dunce snoring inside, as I like to call it, love's slipping sandcastle. Do you hear? Hark. There was a pause as Richard tiptoed off, though even further down the hall, Jackson's rasp penetrated. The usual ocean lapping along the shore. He rounded a corner. Five. Oh, 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 look at that guy, look at that guy. Ah, said Nella. Someone who has that day's funny papers, I would like to bet, installed under their showerhead. Wait, but how wouldn't it get wet? Pocket protector. Sure, sure, right, said Melly. Ah, objection. If he's showering in the morning, how can he be seeing that day's funny papers? Does he clip before he even goes to wash? It's probably yesterday's, said Richard. Yeah, said Nella. He clips it before. And averts his eyes so he can enjoy it initially amidst his bath, said Melly. Well, yeah, said Richard. Can't spoil yesterday's funnies. The three at the table in the back sipped their various cafe jean macchiatos and chai. It's cool you found us, said Nella. We usually only do our people watch on Sundays, because that's when the oddest clients wander in. But I guess Thursdays don't do so bad. No, I guess not, said Melly. So you guys also come here to study, said Richard. He was pleased with having stumbled onto them again, if not a little shy. Purportedly, Nella said. Yes, but the people watching just get so involved, said Melly. Richard's mind was, while enriched, currently free-floating in multiple places at once. He had earlier that day received another note from Motley. It said this, Richard, I've concluded that Jackson has found something related to your inquiry. It seems fairly definite. But rather, instead of telling you about it in this note, I want to give you the opportunity to abstain from seeing. Not everybody's supposed to know everything about their forebears. It may hinder as opposed to help your relationship with your dad. But anyhow, you might do this. Go with your father's advice until you've made yourself independent enough to go on by your own accord. The path may seem long, but I can remember by the time I was in my mid-twenties and had gotten out from under the thumb of my grandma, the relief was very sweet. The wait definitely was worth it. If you feel different, come to my office any time within the week and I'll let you gander. I am sorry about this. Mott. And a P.S. which had expounded on and on in a similar theme. Richard had read all consternated and anxious. What classes are you supposed to be studying for here? Nella said in the Café Jean as she dragged out a notebook. Well, he wouldn't be studying for classes here because he goes to SU, said Melly. Richard set down his cup. Oh, what? 
said Nella. He's not a man of the peons. Nope, said Melly. All right, all right, Richard said. Yeah, that's true. How'd you know? Your sweater. My sweater. The one you were wearing the other day. Every year, students get new pullovers, and yours was like three years old. Well, sure, said Richard, but that's not proof. But it's your swagger, said Nella. Yeah, I see it. You have that I-go-to-S-U vibe on you. Oh, yeah, like a stink. Exactly, said Melly. Around them, the cafe chatter dithered on. So what were you doing at a game for state? In the student section. Or at least not rooting for SU, said Nella. Were you rebelling at your S-state? Aha, uh -huh. yeah, in stating myself. Aha. Uh -huh. No, just... Richard looked at the two expectant faces. Well, there aren't sharp debaters at SU. Obviously. Aha, uh -huh. very smooth, said Melly. You know what, said Nella, I can accept it. There are no pun appreciators in this school. I'll imbibe your defection. Well, there are hardly ever any men who are actually cute at state either, said Melly, turning to the other Molly. So, you know, the opportunity cost. After recovery, Richard said, well, there you go. Hey, so, said Melly, speaking of debates, I need an opinion for a strategy on the debateposium Friday. Yeah, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, I'm taking a poll. She fixed her gaze intently at Richard. Should I open my opening argument with a quote from Hamlet or a quote from my own limerick? Oh, oh man. Richard drained the lees. Uh, what's the topic? It is about the uptick in heme and its causes. But I'm asking just for flavor. Well, what's the Shakespeare quote then? I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul and freeze thy young blood, young Hamlet. Does he actually say young Hamlet after, said Nella. No, he doesn't, but I thought I need it for framing. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I see the heme connection, said Richard. All right, all right. But, uh, your limerick? <clears throat> she cleared her throat, giggled at Nella like she hadn't expected to be asked. It's, no, it's okay, I got it, it's this. Please listen up and don't snooze. Listen to me, you can't lose. I should make a bet. On my view you'll be set. It's dyspepsia which makes us all ooze. Nella and Richard were convulsed with the fit you might expect, and once they'd returned from doubled to singled over, the two asked which dyspepsia she'd meant. Emotional. No, no, not digestive-related ailments. Ah, well, but ooze. I don't really think about oozing emotions, said Richard. Perhaps you should. Or boozing ablutions, said Nella. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, Richard looked down at his own notebook. I want to ask you something, he said to Melly. Of course. What? said Nella. Doily! Hmm? Melly said. Nella gazed to the rear of the shop. I just saw Doily walk by the back door. I gotta talk to him. Doily! The cat vacated. I don't know that person, Melly said. So, what did you want to ask? Richard looked at the notebook in his outstretched paw as if it were an object to be pitied, lamentable, and he an infinitely superior opponent. This was the image he strove to project. Well, I don't know. You seem to engage with the great ideas a good amount. Well, I do try. And anyway, I just wondered, in a philosophic context, 
You happen to find something some person you know doesn't want you to know? Mm, Melly said. Happen to find. The notebook creased at the edge. Yeah, sure. But if someone you know has motivations or something bearing on you... Is this a personal person? Like somebody extremely close? Or, yeah, yeah, sure. But say, you know, it's somebody who's making decisions that are affecting your lifestyle. What's the validity of, like, through covert means, kind of like sussing out their reasons? Just so you can, you know, Richard added, keep stepping around the right sinkholes. Hmm. Melly squinted to the side of the room at the porous abstracting of Richard's argument. Through covert means? Well, those means or coincidence? What do you mean? You said happen to find. Whatever, said Richard. Either way, either way. He picked up and set down the coffee. Is this for validity or ethics? Richard shrugged. She said, are you asking is this likely to be gotten away with or... Yeah. Yeah, do you think it's something you could get away with with the other person? Said Richard. Or, you know, maybe they'd kind of say, it's all right later on, even if you got caught because you did it in order to better understand, I guess what I'm saying is their wishes. Hmm. Yeah. The shadows got a little longer. But you're confusing the objective again. I am? Yes. Her tone was succinct, yet free of judgment. Are you wanting to know the likelihood or practicality of something like that not having consequences? Or are you inquiring about the ethics of that sort of under-the-table investigating? That's, I guess we're talking about violating boundaries. Irrespective of the negative consequences to you, she said such as even if there are none. Richard said, and what difference? Well, for you, or a hypothetical philosopher, the question to ask is, what is the difference between getting away with it in the eyes of this other person, or getting away with it ipso facto? Or maybe I need to say, she said, getting away with it with oneself. Oh, man, said Nella, bursting through the back door. That doily. Yes, said Melly. How was Doily? Huh? Oh, good, good. We had just been admiring the encroaching dusk. Richard stood. I'd better scram. He heard the monosyllable, dusk. Dinner with the fam. Don't want to have to go to a telephone office and explain I'm caught up in philosophy. Ooh, philosophy, said Nella. What are we doing? Unclear, said Melly, who stared at Richard. You know, I could have sworn you were talking about, of all people, my dad. Richard's shoes edged together. How so? This other person. Your response sounded honestly like my own rationalizing. Richard said, I'd better get cruising, and then told her to use the alternative to Hamlet. 6. On his way home, he did, like Nella allegedly, run into someone he knew. Arol, O-R-Y-O-L, Richard thought who told him a long and incoherent story about a matchstick and then sent the other youth on his way. At the house, Richard was informed over dinner that he'd received a letter in the mail. It looks interesting, said his father. It was the first non-essential thing he'd said to him in days. Richard, pushing aside the bowl of spaghettini, opened the envelope and said, Oh. It was a notice from his professor for introductory lit, Bentley, that he wished Richard to take on a part-time position as research assistant. The letter implied that since Bentley, his work in the arts notwithstanding, was working on a book on business in fiction, 
The research involved ought to connect Richard to those more relevant in the business educational field. The academic, despite this being an obvious boon, seemed almost to be apologizing for being an incongruous mentor. Richard blanched. Wow, he said. Huh. He couldn't help smiling. Nor could Mr. Hartley. He's on his way. The father pricked a little pasta from his son's plate and nipped it into his mouth. Keep chugging and you'll surpass me, he said, rising with a sliding paw over his son's back. That night, he laid awake and with insufficient sleep, rose the next morning to say, I gotta find out. In the office, slinking through the Warrens, Richard encountered a terrible thing. Round a corner, still several meters away from the chambers of Motley and Jackson, the 18-year-old was overcome with an awful feeling that he would not like what he found. He did not know where this came from, but it passed over like a cloud near earth. Approaching the ajar door of Jackson's study, with the stove in the hall switched off, he expected to invade an enclosed meeting, but was instead dealt with Motley, sidling out from the sliver and clicking the door shut. Hey, said Richard, you know I was coming? You have sort of a distinct tread. Ah, well, hey, so, I want to know. Yup. Mm-hmm, said Motley. All right, what do you find? Or does Jackson want to tell me? He used Cheddarstiff at night to upscale the image of your dad's office window at State on campus. Three nights running. Motley was sullen and sober and saw an object which, which didn't move even though everything else in your father's office kept shifting around. Richard was growing impatient. Uh-huh. Okay, and... And Motley seems to believe, said Jackson's growl, that if you are to be disabused of illusions, it could cause harm, while well, I see it as simply doing the reverse. Motley turned back to the passage. Jack, coinciding with the Cheddarstith, functioning this time for reasons unknown, it only took the object which never moved, among chairs, files, and papers, and different choreography each of the three turns of the moon. Jackson's voice edged close to the door. It pays to know. But what all that led to was being struck with epiphany on night the third, and realizing that the most mundane, non-moving object should attract the least suspicion from colleague or wife, an ideal stashing shoal, wherein... Hey, uh... Richard was speaking to Motley, to Jackson. Don't need the technicals, just... An ideal shoal being itself the object which, despite never dancing, was upon closer inspection, seemed to have failed to gather dust. So there's something else hinting. This object taken at Hartley's on-campus state office as something given, pedestrian, dull. Motley, you don't... A framed portrait of his son and Megan. Motley swung open the door where Jackson was standing beyond Richard's angle. Why do you need to bring Megan into, uh, what's my mom have to do with it? Said Richard. And behind there we see, Jackson went on in a dull monotone, inside the frame. Which you gained access to by bribing that poor janitor with the month-old stale bread. Where we find, Jackson cut off Motley's railing, this. And the potioner's paw emerged in the space between Motley and the drywall, holding a piece of newspaper. 
Richard blinked. There were creases. Uh, he said. Jackson's paws worked delicately and smoothly on the Babe Martin clipping, dated from the year before last, and Richard saw the cutting before his eyes finely and elegantly arranged, along the folds into a beautiful, upstanding swan in the style of origami. It is, said Jackson's voice, a remnant, obviously given by a younger acolyte, an innocent token out of the hands of a student in the class. Ah, but the note on the right wing from your and Motley's side indicates all. Motley had whirled around and pointed. There's nothing written there. Stop with all this. That's your left, dear Motley. Had you... But Richard read the correct wing, and he uttered a single word. Melly. Motley turned, and Jackson's paw froze. The note had said, in familiar hand, to Roderick for love, but of course that, despite featuring his father's given name, wasn't what did it. Oh my God, said Motley. Ah, Jackson said. This all comes clear. Motley shoved him bodily into the room and said to Richard, Meet me in the courtyard one second, and slammed the door closed. Richard stood there, buttoning, unbuttoning his peacoat. There was shouting. The door opened again, and Motley poked his head. Rich, when I sent that note, I knew it was bad and had my reservations. But Jackson hadn't told me everything, and neither of us actually realized that- You motley fool! Certainly you've swapped the directions in your eternal search between left and right. The Cheddar's death was bungled, and by the man I see before me. Bang. The door sealed, and Richard did not move. He kept buttoning, unbuttoning. He had the thought to take his distinct tread down the hall, remove the wingtips, and creep back in socks. He did so. At least he's gone, said Motley, so he can have a minute, and I can tell you what you've done wrong before I catch him and reassure that- It's clear, Motley, Jackson said, that we've all done a thing wrong. I just did it in full tilt. Richard eavesdropped on the most depressing conversation he'd ever heard in his life, and after two minutes bolted and was already a block away from City Hall Courtyard, where he could espy Motley stalking, calling his name. In a blur of speed, he halved the considerable distance through town and found himself stomping in the Hef building, about twenty minutes past the hour. He shuffled to the auditorium. 7. And so you can reason said Melly from the left side of the stage. From the evidence we have that the increase in hemophilia over the last few years has a direct relation to stress, considering the circumstances in which the bleeding occurs. Richard stood staring, and Melly saw him and smiled. After the debate aposium finished and she received her trophy, Melinda walked up to the spot where he'd remained. Hey! You missed the limerick. I actually added something. I'm Roderick Hartley's son. Melly stopped talking, but didn't do anything noticeable with her face for a span of moments. That was the stasis for a time. Soon, it gradually softened until cohering into an amalgamation of three things. Disappointment, satire, and dispassion. It was with this latter that Richard saw he only brought her to a vista of feeling she'd been forced to visit many times before, that at this point she had a system for it. 
like someone standing on a dock looking out at a mind-numbingly static pond where the same sad fish swam every day, losing its terror but retaining its stubborn, implacable depth. Ah, said Melly. Nella, all of a sudden, came up behind her. That was awesome! Hey, Rich, she said, then turned back to Melly. You won! Richard saw she had the term asshole scrawled on her brow. I chose the word, Nella said. In the end, Melinda was too soft-natured to pick. What's wrong? You guys okay? I have to stay on here for an hour, said Melly. There's a follow-up thing in 40 minutes. Will you stay here with me? Yeah, of course. What? Nella looked at her and at Richard again. Is everything okay? You both seem disturbed. Richard gazed at the trophy, and then his and Melly's eyes met. What was he supposed to say? Sorry my dad's a vile predator. Sorry he used his position of power over you for sex. But hey, want to grab milkshakes? Won't family dinners be fun? If you ever wanted to come forward, he said, and what he spoke next sent a shiver of ice through his heart. I'd back you up. Thanks. After a moment, I think I'd like to go be with Nella for a while. I am sorry, Richard. Yeah, sorry. No one was blaming anyone. The two molly cats walked, and the shorter one said, See you, Rich, over her shoulder, and Richard tried to summon hurt and bereavement at Nella whisking Melly away, but the truth was all he felt seemed to be relief. Someone else was taking care of it. The night was dark as the tomcat stepped outside. It was a new moon. He went to one of the telephone offices open late and picked a carol. While dialing, the flakes of Motley and Jackson's talk piled on his head like snow. This is a lousy contretemps. Motley's voice had fumed through the other side of the door. God, what a horrible coincidence. That would be the same girl who Richard's... In this happenstance, serendipities, black or not, are none, Motley, said Jackson. How? As there were three nights needed for the instance, three layers there were of sickness in the Hartley Rue's mind. Consciously, I'm sure he told himself at the time he was aiding her. Indeed. Then, underneath that, in the subconscious, we have yet another layer which is as follows. Drawn to this woman was Professor Hartley, since, consciously or not, he sensed she would be someone attuned to his son, on which he was, I suppose, correct. Oh, gross. Yes, it is, but it's merely a justification to obscure a third layer, the truth. A justification with its own sort of twisted logic at the core. In this second layer, some edge of his psyche had to justify the sin, so it emerged underneath the academician's thinking. The third layer is, of course, the reality, and exactly what happened to our young man. He conceived an Eidolon of her, which said, Here is someone who will break me out of the peculiar limits and boundaries I have imposed on myself. More ways a box. And, as it so happens, the exact same shape of boundaries he also triumphantly imposed on his son. 
Since he fashioned Richard in his own image, it doesn't shock that they would both be attracted to the same idea of Melinda, irrespective of Melinda herself. Well, said Motley, that's all terrible. There was a rest. I still don't understand that second layer. Even if it was a subconscious excuse, like some part of him told himself because Richard might someday be into a girl like this, I should step up and... Yes, it does not hold water, which is why it's merely a cover-up. But think, Motley, on all he had in his eye done for the boy. With this poor, hissingly ill-fortuned Visenarian, Melinda, Hartley Sr.'s thought processes, subterranean as they may have been, were allegedly of a rugged oak. Staunch, infallible. He spoke slowly. Simplistic. Here's another thing I can do for my son. At the telephone office, the wires connected Richard to the prized machine at his house in his father's study. There was an answer after one ring. Yes. It's me. There was a pause. Where are you? We were scheduled to have dinner hours ago. The skin under Richard's collar felt rank. Dad, he said. You had a student named Melinda Charin? White noise. Ah, said his father. So now, stealing from my office is the next great act. Richard's heart recoiled. It was true. I'm sorry I took it. I wonder if you have any idea these days of what sort of things you're doing. I know her name because I met her in the fucking student section. This caused a reaction. Mr. Hartley called his son an epithet which never passed his lips before or since. I'm telling Mom, Richard said. About Melinda, I mean. Now that really would truly accomplish nothing. Composure regained. How much money do you intend to waste on our phone bill? Richard swallowed. I see why you didn't want me going to state. That is absolutely correct. The mouthpiece sank in Richard's paw. The possibility of a corrupting influence from one sadly unhinged young woman who has now decided to sing her old song to my flesh and blood, was enough to convince me that State was not the right school for you, Richard. But she didn't accuse you, as it ought to be. Nothing happened. So it's just that you were eager to see your father in a certain light? He spoke like someone coaxing a naughty child. The earpiece was shunted in Richard's claw. Wasn't eager for any of this, Dad. Well, you know, I have to say, you could have fooled me. His father yawned. The horror in Richard's chest mounted. His dad was acting like he'd been told something sour, but at worst, inconvenient. The rapidity with which Mr. Hartley assimilated this new intel, which his son had been prepared to cause an explosion of wrath, was worse than anything. The casual, the flippant nature... His father remained one step ahead. Why'd you hold on to the swan? A light in the office went out. As evidence, Richard, of this young woman's obsession with myself. Before he could retort, his father continued, Richard, I can see that you've become very upset. It's perfectly reasonable. The cat in the carol said nothing. So, for your sake, 
Mr. Hartley said. I only hope that these lies have not spread further. Richard breathed. I ask you to think on this, said his father. If these lies gain credence and my tenure is jeopardized, you would have to pay for school entirely out of your own pocket. Even with your scholarships, I don't see that as particularly feasible. High school spent playing a tabletop game with relatively, I have to say, unproductive people. You don't have the work experience. There's number one. For number two, it would put your mother and myself in jeopardy, considering the overall minor income she gets from the city government. All right, so there's two things. Richard tried to cut in. It's number three would mean no more favors, such as the connections I have, for example, at the Postgraduate Business Administration Program, who offer highly sought-after and competitive positions, and would strongly consider anybody I recommend. Understood? Anyone. And on that note, no more fix-ups, such as the one I called in from Professor Bentley. Richard felt tears sting his eyes. Uh, huh? You think you earned this research position all on your own. Richard, everybody needs help, his father said. Think of the scholarships I abetted you to gain. Hell, I wouldn't be where I am without scholarship programs. But with how it is these days, you're going to need more than that. <sighs> Here, Mr. Hartley issued a wistful sigh. It's just the way it is. So, I will see you in the house, ten o'clock. We'll have our meal, and I hope that you can stop yourself, I really do, because I love you, from doing anything else to endanger your future. What have I always said? You want to be an oarsman, Richard, not an anchor, and I don't wish to see you blowing that up. I'd hate to watch. The young cat hardly heard this last, because at that point he had his head buried in his arms, face to desk, phone splayed sidelong. The other end hung up. Many, many, many minutes later, or what felt like it, Richard made a second phone call. Hef Building? Hey, is uh, Melinda Char in there? She should be in a meeting with other debateposium participants. Who's calling? You can say it's Richard, he said. It's important. Soon the high voice he knew came to the phone. Hey. Hey. The window showed actual snow starting to fall. What's up? Richard moved his elbow. Was thinking about something. What? What's the thing you're getting up to after you graduate? Again? You hadn't asked. Uh, what's the plan? Melly said, I want to become a social worker. Cool, cool. Presently, she said, they're waiting for me in the other room. Did you... Ah, I was just thinking, said Richard. You don't... Ah, I mean, you don't want to be caught up in a, I guess, in a scandal, right? He went on. Or be seen as someone with poor judgment by others, by others. You know? Hey, being a social worker sounds perfect. The earpiece transmitted the ocean. But yeah, you know, he said. Yeah, you don't want stuff getting in the way. And something where you're trying to call someone out might, right? He concluded. Folks might not trust you as much, which isn't fair, obviously. But yeah, just my thoughts. Sure, Richard. Yeah. You know, Nella was actually right about something with you. Richard, what? 
You do sound like a teacher. The line went dead. He paid and pushed open the double doors, greeted with a blast of ice. The walk would be hard. He thought about what had been done and having to live with it to keep things tidy. It wasn't nice, but it was all more harmonious that way. Maybe he wouldn't go to the house. Maybe he'd jump in a river or run to the Hef building and scream he was an idiot and renounce everything. But Richard suddenly got accosted with a page who sprang out of the ether, asking if he were Professor Hartley's son. He said yes and was given a note. Once the page left, he read. The operator gave me to understand that this was where you had been calling from. I would hope you've started back by now and this letter will prove moot. I did want to say that regarding the little threat you had made about informing Mother, I have already discussed with her the full content of our phone call in detail. This is because she has known about the situation with Melinda since it started. You're free to quiz her and check the veracity of what I'm telling you, though in truth it may not come across as particularly grateful. Because why, Richard, did she choose to not make a fuss and to maintain an understanding between me and her? Think about it. Catch up with the rest of us. She did it for you. Seems it is coming down fairly hard out there. We have the table set when you're ready to join the family. Richard, crumpling the note in his glove, felt a flash of hatred and rage at himself, at his father, at anybody who abided and tolerated people like them. But then, with a great towering force of will, he extinguished it, and the silence that was to become the work of his life took him whole. He walked home. End of Episode 2 Jackson the Cat is written by Oak Edel and performed by me, Jason Everett. The theme music is Black Widow by Graham. Stay tuned for another exciting mystery to be published in the upcoming calendar month. Until then, 